How many of you remember as children the promise of a sweet or chocolate or the anticipation of receiving a present and your body feels like it wants to explode with all the excitement and then you're told to wait. At the moment when we want to go to the supermarket we have to wait outside in a queue. We wait for life to get better and for the lockdown to end. Have you noticed that waiting is the hardest part of life? If we are in the middle of something and then suddenly have to wait, we may wish to start something else, often in a name of efficiency. Or we may have a sense of lost momentum, or we may seek stimulation trying to avoid an intolerable boredom. In the space of seven weeks since the lockdown began, I have completed three university short courses, ran the equivalent of a marathon, attended countless Zoom meetings, and still I'm bored and agitated with the weight gain. You see, I had a dream that one day our world would be greener and more sustainable. I had a dream that one day we would be more appreciative of one another. And yes, I had a dream that mankind would value what was important to them. What if, in order for this dream to become a reality, this waiting game is put into perspective and becomes a necessity, not just to stay home and stay safe, but also to give ourselves and our world time to adjust. As a child, I went on a school trip to the Lake District, famous for its lakes, forests and mountains in the northwest of England. One of the activities was orienteering. This was an activity that I was least looking forward to. I didn't know how to read a map and the compass just looked too complicated. The instructor decided with his infinite wisdom that he would not send us out in groups into the deep dark forest as it would be too easy, but send us out in pairs instead. I was paired up with a girl named Angela. We were told to follow the map and if we got lost to head south using the compass and they would pick us up by the roadside and if we were in extreme trouble to blow our whistles and someone would rescue us. As we were about to set off, one of the girls in front of us was crying uncontrollably, saying, There's a weird man in the forest that's going to kill us all. As I repeat it now, yes, it sounds ridiculous. However, at the time, we believed her. I decided to take the compass, as all I needed to do was follow south and nothing else. Angela, who was equally clueless, had no choice but to take the map. Now, before you jump to any conclusions, we found the first post. But we got lost thereafter. There were eight or ten posts to find in total. We walked through trees with gnarled roots dipped into and out of the ground and twisted branches that reached down with the twigs looking as though they were grasping thin air. The trees looked ancient, timeless, as they disappeared into the sky, rough with age. Rays of mellow sunlight filtered through the virgilous canopy, penetrating through the leaves and casting an unearthly green-gold luminescence over the ground. My job was to get us south, but as we headed south with our feet crunching on dirt and snapping twigs, there was a big lake, and on the other side of the lake was the road. Let's head back! Heading back got us even more lost. I remember my breathing became loud and dense as the weight of anxiety became too heavy to bear. In a 24 degree heat, I was actually shaking 
and feeling cold. I didn't want to become the victim of the weird man in the forest. We ended up blowing our whistles from fear and we had to wait, wait and wait. I don't remember how long we waited, but I remember feeling even more anxious as I expected our rescue to be immediate. It wasn't. We were meant to blow the whistle and stay in the same place so that they knew where we were. I remember suggesting that we head south again as I could see the sun setting and perhaps it might take us a different way to the road. It didn't. Everything looked the same and every rustle to me was the weird man in the forest about to pounce. They sent out 20 kids. 18 eventually got back safely. Two had to be rescued. The fact is, if we had stayed put, we might have been rescued slightly earlier. If we hadn't listened to the unfounded story of a man in a forest, we wouldn't have been scared and acted like idiots. Does that sound familiar to our current situation? The waiting game, therefore, has become a necessity. We don't need to listen to unfounded and unverified stories, rumours and hearsay. Everyone has the right to speak, but nobody has the right to distort fact. In fact, we can limit what we do listen to. Staying put today means that we can exercise more of the freedom that we are used to sooner rather than later. Also, as a consequence of the lockdown, organisations such as NASA and Greenpeace have reported that the canals of Venice have naturally become cleaner. Citizens in northern India are seeing a view of the Himalayan mountains for the first time in their lives due to the drop in air pollution. And in the UK, wildflowers could bloom in their greatest number for years this summer because of councils cutting back on mowing services, benefiting bees, butterflies and other bugs that depend on them for survival. Across the world, the lockdowns may just be showing us how quickly the natural world around us can adapt and thrive in our absence when given some space. So much so that wildlife are starting to pair into our towns and streets to see if we're okay. So despite the temporary emotional turmoil, maybe the waiting game isn't all that bad after all.